We are the Protecting South Dakota Kids Super PAC. None of you are safe. Now tremble before the might of our merciless leader. I, Fred Deutschem, the Dakota Kids Click Commander. Attention, South Dakota residents. Everything is fine. Everything is beautiful. Go back to your homes. Go back to your jobs. Trust in the authority. Work. Stay asleep. Work. Stay asleep. Work. Stay asleep. Work. Stay asleep. Keeping you docile and distracted during times of uncertainty. This is the South Dakota Department of Propaganda Podcast. Here are your authority figures, Steve and Corny. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the South Dakota Department of Propaganda podcast, a cynical attempt to distract you from the systematic dismantling of everything you hold dear. I'm your host, Steve, and with me, as always, is my good pal and show mascot, Corny. Won't someone please think of the children? No, Corny, fuck off. Anyway, today's topic is Fred Deutsch, South Dakota's own Christian fascist demagogue. On a Saturday afternoon in August 2019, South Dakota Republican State Reverend Fred Deutsch sent an email to 18 anti-trans activists, doctors, and lawyers with the text of a bill he planned to introduce that would make it a felony for doctors to give transgender children under 16 gender-affirming medical care. I have no doubt this will be an uphill battle when we get to session, Deutsch warned the group. As always, please do not share this with the media. The longer we can fly under the radar, the better. The message was one in a trove of emails obtained by Mother Jones between Deutsch and representatives of a network of activists and organizations at the forefront of the anti-trans movement. They show the degree to which these activists shaped Deutsch's repressive legislation, a version of which was signed into law in February, and the tactics, alliances, and goals of a movement that has sought to foist their agenda on a national scale. In messages back and forth, some members of the group pushed Deutsch to make the bill even more restrictive. Vernadette Broyles, the president and general counsel of a Georgia-based law firm called the Child and Parental Rights Campaign, urged him to raise the age threshold to 18. Broyles, who is also affiliated with the conservative Christian Legal Powerhouse Alliance Defending Freedom, ADF, warned that other religious right groups might not support the bill if you start by giving away 16- and 17-year-olds right from the outset. Others, including Andre Van Mole, a member of a fringe conservative doctors group that calls itself the American College of Pediatricians, ACPEDs, raised concerns that the bill as written might backfire by accidentally blocking healthcare providers from attempting to change a child's perception of their sex when kids identify as transgender. Deutsch agreed to rewrite the section. At the time, there was little precedent for such bills, and Deutsch's legislation, called the Vulnerable Child Protection Act, was killed in the Senate after doctors showed up at the South Dakota State House to argue they should not be sent to prison for following the medical consensus. Though our session in SD is now over, and our efforts to protect gender-confused vulnerable children failed, I continue to receive ugly email and social media posts. Deutsch complained to the group in March 2020, 
Please do not say that the South Dakota effort failed. Margaret Clark, general counsel for the Alabama branch of the Phyllis Schlafly-founded Eagle Forum, replied, You successfully inspired, encouraged, and counseled numerous VCAPs IC efforts around the country. You established the ideal witness list that we are all still following in our individual states. And most importantly, you connected us all to each other. This is just the beginning. Indeed, Deutsch's bill has proved influential in the recent surge of anti-LGBTQ lawmaking. This legislative session, at least 18 states have considered bills containing language closely resembling the text of the Vulnerable Child Protection Act. The leaked emails reveal how Deutsch's proposal helped proponents of the national movement to restrict gender-affirming care establish a playbook for their now-common attacks. They've very much increased sophistication since then, but the roots are there, says activist and writer Aaron Reed, who tracks anti-trans legislation. Reed says that when she meets with legislators, they're often surprised to learn of the outside forces pushing anti-trans bills. This isn't coming from an in-state grassroots support system, she says. The emails demonstrate close collaboration between groups working behind the scenes to push bills banning transgender health care, including ADF, which has defended state-sanctioned sterilization of trans people in Europe, and the ACPEDs, which has opposed adoption by gay couples and supported conversion therapy for LGBTQ youth. In recent years, ADF has drafted legislation banning trans children from using school restrooms or playing on school sports teams that align with their gender identity. Both groups are also staunchly anti-abortion. ADF, which drafted the Mississippi abortion ban at the heart of the case that overturned Roe v. Wade, is currently representing ACP Eds in a closely watched lawsuit to ban an abortion pill, Mife Pristone, nationally. These are groups who we know are not interested in the best practice care for trans kids, says Catherine Oakley, state legislative director and senior counsel for the Human Rights Campaign. These bills are coming from national organizations whose purpose is to harm LGBTQ people. More than half of transgender and non-binary kids have considered suicide, according to a 2021 survey by the Trevor Project, and 93% say they worry about state laws denying transgender people access to gender-affirming medical care. This treatment approach, which typically includes puberty blockers for pubescent children, cross-sex hormones for teenagers or adults, and, almost exclusively for adults, surgeries, represents a broad medical agreement that such care can be crucial for supporting trans kids' well-being. Gender-affirming care is supported by the American Medical Association, American Academy of Pediatrics, American Psychiatric Association, the Endocrine Society, and other major medical organizations. And studies have found that it is associated with better mental health outcomes over both short- and longer-term periods. The organizations exchanging emails with Deutsch and his other collaborators aren't shy about their agenda. Several, including ACP Eds, Eagle Forum, and the Christian Medical and Dental Associations, are listed as partners in a campaign dubbed The Promise to America's Children. Co-led by ADF, the Heritage Foundation, a major conservative think tank also represented in the emails, and the Christian nationalist lobbying group Family Policy Alliance, the campaign pushes anti-LGBTQ legislation, claiming that the government and media are imposing explicit sexual content on children, meaning information about sexual orientation, gender identity, and abortion.
The president of the American Principles Project, a member of the coalition, recently told the New York Times that his group's goal is to eliminate all transition care, starting with children because that's where the consensus is. Lawmakers often seek advice from experts in law, policy, medicine, and other fields as they craft legislation. ADF Senior Vice President of Communications Greg Scott said in a statement, That's a normal part of a healthy democracy. Privately, John Uhler, a therapist who supports conversion therapy, urged the working group to respond to questions for this article by emphasizing that there is no such thing as a trans kid. He later sent me a series of social media posts comparing trans people and drag performers to sexual predators. The emails illustrate just how long some major figures in the anti-trans movement have been incubating political attacks on transgender health care. For instance, Broyles, who today represents Jamie Reed, the former caseworker who has made controversial high-profile claims against a Missouri gender clinic, was working in 2020 with ACPED's executive director Michelle Critella and retired American Principles Project senior fellow Jane Robbins to compile a packet of lobbying materials in support of Vulnerable Child Protection Act bills, including a guide targeted at parents. Please share these with your legislators and feel free to disseminate them as widely as possible with allies, Broyles wrote on January 9, 2020. We hope they become weapons in the hands of many warriors. The 2019 bill wasn't Deutsch's first time pushing anti-trans legislation, or his first time working with Alliance Defending Freedom. A retired chiropractor and former president of the anti-abortion group South Dakota Right to Life, Deutsch was elected to the State House in 2014, and two years later introduced one of the earliest bathroom bills, based on ADF model legislation. Like North Carolina's infamous HB2, the proposal attempted to block trans students from using school restrooms and locker rooms that matched their gender identity. It passed both houses of the state legislature before it was vetoed by then-Gov Dennis Dalgard, who said that the bill does not address any pressing issue concerning the school districts of South Dakota. According to University of Cincinnati law professor Ryan Thorson, a former LGBT rights program researcher for Human Rights Watch, Deutsch was one of the most prominent state lawmakers nationally in pushing anti-transgender restrictions at the state level, even before we were seeing these huge waves of bills. Deutsch declined to answer questions for this story. In 2019, Deutsch tweeted that he would try to criminalize doctors who followed the Endocrine Society's clinical practice guidelines for treating people with gender dysphoria. He would later claim the idea for such a law had come from children I saw on Twitter who told him to read Reddit forums about detransitioning. By that summer, Deutsch had quietly assembled a group of advisors, including people who had once identified as trans only to reverse course and deny that anyone is truly transgender. They helped him workshop legislative language, supporting materials and proponent testimony. It was like Deutsch assembled a team of Navy SEALs. We were all trained killers in a specialty, says Elisa Ray Schupa, a retired U.S. Army soldier who became a vocal anti-trans advocate and participated in Deutsch's working group after detransitioning. Shoup has since retransitioned, disavowed much of her old activism, and shared her copies of the working group's emails with reporters. Religious right rhetoric about wanting to help children with gender dysphoria is just a front for what they do behind the scenes, she says. It's like they want to do as much damage to the trans community as they can.
The draft bill Deutsch sent the group in August 2019 sparked a lengthy debate over language. In one email chain, participants struggled to narrow the wording of Deutsch's bill to avoid blocking treatments for trauma victims or legitimizing the concept of gender as one separate from biological sex. Catherine Cave, a founder of the anti-trans parent organization Kelsey Coalition, suggested specifying that treatments were only banned for patients who had an incorrect perception of their sex. A child and parental rights campaign lawyer proposed replacing the word incorrect with dissonant. Richard Mast of Liberty Council separately advised the group to avoid saying the words transgender, cisgender, or non-binary. Using them surrenders the language, Mast wrote. If the other side's language frames the debate, we lose. Members of the South Dakota team, as they occasionally referred to themselves, hammered out talking points for upcoming bill hearings, where a detransitioner and a member of the Women's Liberation Front would testify in favor of the bill, along with doctors from both inside and outside South Dakota. The group debated how to respond to the ACLU's claim that their bill was unconstitutional. While there may be a constitutional right to refuse to carry a child to term under Roe, there is no constitutional right to chemically and surgically mutilating one's healthy body, where there is no disease to be treated. That is child abuse, Broyles wrote. And they brainstormed responses to the argument that gender-affirming care reduces suicide, an assertion that is backed up by research. Peer-reviewed studies have repeatedly found that trans and non-binary youth with access to gender-affirming care are significantly less likely to seriously consider suicide than those who did not receive such care. A larger analysis, using online survey data from over 11,000 trans and non-binary youth, found using gender-affirming hormonal therapy was associated with lower rates of both depression and suicidality. Yet one team member called the argument that gender-affirming care reduces suicide abusive. Another argued it was a way for doctors to coerce parents to consent to gender-affirming care for their child. Van Mol, the doctor, suggested Deutsch reply to the suicide prevention argument with a rebuttal published on a defunct anti-trans blog. Why weren't the 1950s a total bloodbath for suicides if non-affirmation of everything is the fast train to offing oneself? Van Mol asked paraphrasing the blog post. Another doctor in the working group, California endocrinologist Michael Laidlaw, had gained attention for his writing against gender-affirming care after parents at a charter school in his region raised complaints that they hadn't been notified before kindergartners were read a children's book, I Am Jazz, about trans teenager Jazz Jennings. Last fall, when the state of Florida called on Laidlaw as an expert witness in a lawsuit over its anti-trans Medicaid policy, a federal judge concluded that he was far off from the accepted view on how to treat gender dysphoria, in part because Laidlaw had said he would refuse to use patients' preferred pronouns. In his South Dakota testimony, Laidlaw compared gender-affirming care to Nazi experimentation and the Tuskegee syphilis study. In emails to Deutsch and the group, he railed against doctors who prescribe puberty blockers, which are used to delay unwanted physical changes in gender-diverse kids and give them more time to explore whether or how to transition, accusing them of willfully harming children, even if kids and their parents consent to treatment. The physician is the criminal in these scenarios and must be prosecuted by the law, he argued. 
Around the time it became clear that Deutsch's bill would not pass, the discussions on the email threads shifted from strategy to impassioned proclamations that trans people don't exist. The state is forcing people to participate in a lie akin to 2 plus 2 equals sign 5, Critella wrote. A man is not a woman. If this is not the definition of insane, I don't know what is. Some participants in the chains argued over whether it undermined their cause to work with a trans activist who opposed medical transition for children but not adults. Their endorsements come with a hitch. They expect everyone to play make-believe that they really are the opposite sex and have compelled pronouns and all that garbage, Shupe wrote. In spring 2020, the group claimed one victory. Mast of Liberty Council put the team in touch with Idaho Rep. Julianne Young, who was working on a bill to prohibit trans people from changing the gender marker on their birth certificate. Young, who had taken edits from ADF attorney Matt Sharp on the proposal, asked the group for feedback on its language and invited them to edit her press release about it. In response to questions from Mother Jones, Young says that consulting with experts with legislation is a normal part of our robust democratic process. On March 30, 2020, Young wrote to the group with excitement to announce that her bill had been signed by Idaho Governor Little. I can't thank you enough for your help and support, she wrote. Thanks for staying so focused on this even through the endless pandemic pandemonium, replied Gary McCaleb a lawyer on ADF's appellate team. Very, very well done. Even as Deutsch's original bill failed, variations of the Vulnerable Child Protection Act were already being introduced in at least nine states beyond South Dakota. In part, that was thanks to the efforts of people on the team, who were pushing the bill they'd workshopped with Deutsch behind the scenes to other Republican legislators. In October 2019, Broyles announced to the group that she and Robbins had met with Georgia State Reverend Ginny Earhart and converted her to their cause. She is filing our bill this legislative session, Broyles wrote. Am stoked for what God is doing in Georgia. Not long after their meeting, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reported Earhart as saying she had drafted the bill in response to a high-profile child custody dispute in the Texas, in which parents disagreed about their child's gender identity. In Florida, an aide for State Reverend Anthony Sabatini contacted MAST for recommendations for experts who would speak out in support of a Vulnerable Child Protection Act there. Critella helped collect names of like-minded doctors and psychologists, reporting to the group that she'd urged a lobbyist to get a diversity of witnesses as was achieved for South Dakota. Meanwhile, Eagle Forum worked with a Utah lawmaker, then Reverend Brad Daw, who'd agreed to sponsor a similar bill in his state. We've got lots of legislators working on this, a Utah Eagle Forum activist told the Salt Lake Tribune. Deutsch told his group he would pass workshopped legislative language and supporting materials to Daw through Eagle Forum. But Daw, citing pushback from colleagues and the parents of trans children, later changed his mind and instead filed a bill to study the effects of puberty blockers. And in Alabama, according to an email from Eagle Forum's Clark, both Critella and Deutsch had coached her as she led legislators in the state to adopt a bill similar to Reparable Fred Deutsch's. The resulting legislation, dubbed the Vulnerable Child Compassion and Protection Act, failed in 2020 and the following year. But an updated version was signed into law in 2022, becoming the country's second ban on gender-affirming care and the first to criminalize doctors who provided it. The first in Arkansas was passed in 2021.
Today, six states total have banned gender-affirming medication and surgical care for minors. After Alabama enacted its version of Deutsch's bill, the Justice Department sued the state, arguing that the law is unconstitutional because it discriminates based on sex and transgender status. A federal judge agreed to block parts of the new law, explaining that Alabama had produced no credible evidence to back up its claim that the medications are experimental. The uncontradicted evidence is that at least 22 major medical associations in the United States endorse transitioning medications as well-established evidence-based treatments for gender dysphoria in minors, District Court Judge Lyles Burke wrote in his order issuing a temporary injunction. That case, along with a challenge to the Arkansas ban, is still playing out in court. Last fall, Burke denied a Justice Department attempt to subpoena the Eagle Forum for all documents related to its advocacy for the law. Eagle Forum of Alabama took on this issue after hearing from citizens in Alabama, including parents, doctors, lawyers, and guidance counselors, about their concerns for otherwise healthy children who want to transition to the opposite sex, the group claimed in a press release. And in South Dakota, Deutsch finally won the long battle this February when Governor Christy Noem signed an updated version of his bill. The new law strips licenses from doctors who provide minors with gender-affirming care and requires health care providers to gradually cut off puberty blockers and hormones for any kids they are already treating. That provision is expected to force some South Dakota teens to medically detransition by the end of 2023. Deutsch returned to Twitter in February to celebrate the signing of the South Dakota ban. This concludes the effort I began three years ago, he tweeted, along with a picture of lawmakers toasting. Many good people have worked to protect our children. Under his wings, one lobbyist wrote in an email. The devil never sleeps, another person sent in an email chain about the distinction between gender and sex. I pray for the second coming more and more. These missives are part of a trove of leaked emails between South Dakota GOP repper Fred Deutsch, anti-trans lobbyists, and other state lawmakers about anti-trans policies that are filled with language so deeply religious that, at times, the communications read like scripts from The Handmaid's Tale. It's the language, one expert told Vice News, of Christian nationalists who believe they're engaging in a holy war. The emails, which are available online for journalists and others to read, and were first reported on by Mother Jones, include revelations about some of the ways that anti-trans lobbyists and elected Republicans like Deutsch and Idaho Rep. Julianne Young collaborate and strategize to write and endorse policies that directly target trans people on a national scale. The repeated notes about blessings and prayers, as well as sign-offs like God Bless You and Under His Wings, proliferate throughout the emails, which frequently reference explicit religious motivations for targeting trans people. Know that many have prayed and are praying for you this day. Do not back down, nor should you be afraid. Know that the Lord is with you. The children of South Dakota belong to him. He is jealous over them. Let his jealousies be spoken forth in the House of Representatives of South Dakota today, so that his children would be made safe. Know you are his representative today. Do not be afraid. Stand firm in what is right, wrote Vernadette Broyles a lawyer and president of the Georgia-based Children and Parental Rights Campaign, which mobilizes against gender ideology, in 2020. Broyles did not respond to Vice News' request for comment. The email was in response to a note from Deutsch about his proposed legislation. 
Today we do battle on the SD house floor. Thank you for all your work and your prayers, Deutsch wrote. Deutsch also did not respond to Vice News' request for comment. It's not surprising to experts that the language in the emails looks like that. It is the language of Christian nationalism. Thomas Lacaque, an associate professor of history at Grandview University, focusing on apocalyptic religion and political violence. It is the language of people who very much believe they are doing God's will, and it is the language of people who very much believe that they are engaged in a holy war. Explicit references to warfare pop up in the emails a few times. I prayed for you and the others supporting the bill today. Ask the Lord to put all of you in the armor of God for this fight wrote Elisa Ray Shupa, a trans woman, in an email. Shupe at the time had detransitioned and was an anti-trans advocate. She since retransitioned, renounced her ties to Christianity, and shared the emails with journalists. I fell prey to the belief that if I did what they suggested that I would be cured of my gender dysphoria, I was encouraged to confess my sins, ask for forgiveness by Jesus, and turn my plight over to the Lord Jesus Christ. I was also asked to accept that my transgender status was a sexually motivated sin and to cure myself by attending a religious 12-step program, which I did for approximately a year, Shupi told Vice News. Another email, also from Broyles, stated, Praise God, and we cancel every assignment of backlash against you and those who stood with you. May you sleep the deep sleep of one who has warred well for what is right. As bills passed or failed, the involved parties also imbued their responses with religious language. Emails from 2020 show right-wing lobbyists and politicians rejoicing after Idaho passed two anti-trans bills. One of the bills, which is still being fought by the ACLU, bans trans women and girls from girls' sports and is rooted in the myth that trans women have a leg up in sports, though evidence has consistently stated the opposite. Dear friends, wrote Young, the Idaho representative. I cannot thank you enough for your help and support. It is official. Governor Little signed both H-500 and H-509 today. Many tears and prayers of gratitude. The fight goes on. Young sent the email to nearly 30 people, some of whom have also lobbied against abortion, including Deutsch. Young did not respond to Vice News' request for comment. Responses from lobbyists all over flooded in. God is with us, one person wrote. Another person wrote, I've been making a point to pray each day, asking that the governor would sign these bills, and those prayers have now been answered. Praise God, five smooth stones and an abiding faith in his justice. Good work, you guys, a lobby group member wrote. Five smooth stones is a biblical reference that is often used as a shorthand for a situation in which an underdog, David, fights and defeats a much stronger adversary, Goliath. Stopping the existence of transgender people and the acceptance of trans people in the public sphere is to them some sort of religious imperative, Lecac told Vice News. It's particularly fascinating that this group that has all this money, control in state legislatures, control of the House, they had a presidency, is acting like somehow they are David in the struggle. None of this is particularly surprising and none of it is new. Today's Christian nationalists believe that America is an inherently holy Christian land and that it's their duty to restore God's kingdom in order for Jesus to return. Part of this means that they think the country's laws, policies, and cultural institutions should reflect evangelical Christian values, Vice News previously reported. 
As a result, contentious cultural and political issues like drag queen story hours and critical race theory are perceived as satanic. Indeed, the devil came up in the leaked emails. I completely agree that it is Christian nationalism, although I tend to refer to it as religious extremism, Shupe said in an email to Vice News. Christian nationalists are a danger to the LGBTQ population and society in general, a genuine threat to people's lives and safety. They feign compassion while doing everything possible to strip us of our civil rights and ability to safely exist and participate in society. Shupa also acknowledged her own past efforts while collaborating with the anti-trans lobby. I take full responsibility for the manner in which I also acted in a harmful manner while participating in the secret work group. My actions were wrong, shameful, and harmful, and I was caught up in the moment of that misguided evangelical extremism, Shoup said. For that, I am truly sorry for the harm that I helped to cause. Trans issues in particular have been targeted with unprecedented fervor as of late. In 2022, anti-trans hate went mainstream, with onlookers asking if the escalation in anti-trans rhetoric is constituting the beginning of a genocide. Hate groups, far-right pundits, and conservative legislators have zeroed in on trans people and spread harmful lies and stereotypes about what it means to be trans, often falsely framing trans people as a threat to children. The political and social environment in the U.S. for trans issues is already fraught. This year's legislative session has seen a record-breaking 470 anti-trans bills introduced in states across the country, including three trans healthcare bans that have already been signed into law. In South Dakota, Governor Christina Noem signed a gender-affirming care ban this year that in many ways resembles a previously failed ban, Vulnerable Child Protection Act, first introduced by Deutsch in 2019 and discussed in the emails at length. They are not trying to protect children. They are trying to murder the transgender community, Lacac said. Today, trans youth, especially black and brown kids, are struggling with mental health more than before. Families with trans kids are considered fleeing their homes in states that are hostile to trans people, and hate groups and extremists have repeatedly incited violence at drag shows. Numerous medical governing bodies, including the American Medical Association, American Psychological Association, the American Psychiatric Association, and the American Academy of Pediatrics, however, have endorsed gender-affirming care for minors. But that hasn't stopped several states from introducing or ratifying legislation banning gender-affirming care for minors. Dakota Department of Propaganda presents a rebuttal from Fred Deutsch. Yo, what if there's more super monkeys up in the lab? Maybe they're making an army of them up there. Holy shit, maybe it's a conspiracy, like on the X-Files Roswell style. 
working in secret with a crew of double-dealing, nicotine-fiending fucks that are selling out the human race. These super monkeys will use simian science and their genius IQs to make man and monkey alike believe that they're the superior species. Then all it'll take is one little monkey in a spiffy suit to whip the dumber chimps into a frenzy until they go all apeshit and start demanding more bananas, better pay, and human flesh. You'll have to be faster than Walt Flanagan's dog to outrun the warrior gorillas who hunt humans for sport, profit, and the occasional interspecies blowjob. And if you don't wind up with a monkey hog in your mouth, you'll be captured, killed, or worse. And only those as super smart as me will be left to lament. You maniacs. Damn yous. Goddamn yous all to hell. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to call into the podcast, you can leave a voicemail at 605-937-8925. You can also send audio by direct message or record a message and send it to infosouthdakotatruth.com. Just remember, anything you say or think while calling will be recorded and may be played unedited on the podcast. Thank you for listening to the South Dakota Department of Propaganda podcast. 